Well, uh, we're going to have our ministry fair at the uh, conclusion of our uh, service today, and we're very much looking forward to giving you opportunity to see all that God is doing in our church family. Uh, but I do want us, uh, with the time that we have today, to look at the Word, and I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to try to look at verses 7 through uh, 16. And if you want to give a title to the message this morning, it would be Building Up the Church in Challenging Times. Building Up the Church in Challenging Times. I, I don't need to tell you guys that this has been a most unusual year uh, for uh, us and for churches around the globe. Uh, part of the struggle has involved dealing with the challenges that COVID has presented us with, and we have enumerated many of those challenges from time to time along the way, so I'm not going to be reviewing them all here. Uh, with federal mandates uh, recently and presidential speeches and decisions that many companies and corporations are making, these challenges are becoming very personal uh, for many people in our church, and the dilemmas that uh, that uh, some of our people are being faced with are not easy ones. And may God help us all to look to him and to serve uh, one another well and cry out to him uh, together for grace and for mercy to help us in this time of multiple uh, issues to sort through. Uh, you probably know, or you probably should know, that in the last five weeks, we've had nine people in our church family who have come down with COVID. That's nine of them, and I'm thankful to report that they have all come through their bouts with COVID uh, and are doing well, and they're thankful for God's great goodness. Uh, one sister in our church was recently laid flat for three weeks uh, because of pneumonia from COVID, uh, but uh, she texted me this past week, and she, she said this among the things that she had communicated. She said, and I quote, Jesus was working on my heart during this time. I am still processing the experience and will try to talk about it when I can do so without crying. So Jesus is a sweet Savior, uh, being with his people in their times of, of sickness uh, and struggle there's a married couple in our church that just came through about with COVID. They're both doing fine, but the wife has lost some of her sense of smell. And so the husband told me uh, this week that he is not wearing deodorant anymore. <laughs> and he considers that a blessing that he is grateful for. Uh, but in all seriousness, these are uh, challenging times. And I want you to know that the elders um, are... Praying for wisdom uh, from God, we're taking the time in every elders meeting to talk over the issues that are uh, confronting us and seeking to wrap our minds around our current situation, trying to make wise decisions for the ministry year ahead, and we would ask for your prayers for us as we uh, seek to continue to do that in the months to come and know that we as elders are praying for you with some of the decisions that 
you are faced with. As things stand right now, the elders uh, plan on running our ministries at full tilt this fall and and winter, uh, but we want to do so carefully and with due consideration of, of others. If you are feeling symptoms of sickness at all, uh, we encourage you to stay home uh, until you are feeling uh, better. This is one of the ways that we can love each other during uh, this time. Uh, thankfully, you can watch the live stream of our Sunday services if you have to stay home on a Sunday morning, and we're grateful uh, for that. When you are here on the campus, we do want you to feel comfortable uh, wearing a mask if you feel that that is the path of wisdom uh, for you to do so. In fact, we encourage you to do that if your health concerns or your conscience dictates uh, that you wear one. Um, at the present time, we're continuing to leave that up to you and trust you with that decision. For all of our ministries, um, we want you to feel free to use this church campus as often as you need to due to the fact that the space here is roomier uh, than many uh, homes uh, might be. On top of that, our building's airflow system utilizes two sets of filters, one of which effectively traps micro-sized aerosols that may harbor the coronavirus. And we're thankful for the air circulation rate here in this building as well, which is well beyond uh, what is recommended for minimizing the chances of transmitting uh, the coronavirus. We're so grateful to be in this uh, building here. These are unusual times that leave us crying out to God for wisdom. But here's our thought as elders. If the challenges that, that we face today uh, serve to make us more humble and more tender to the work of Christ in us and more knitted together with one another in love and more focused on our mission then we believe that God's good pleasure is being done in us. Amen? Even if there's a lot of other things that we simply don't know. God is sovereign, God is wise, and God is good, and he works all things together for good for those who love him and for those who, called according, who are called according to his purpose. And times like these provide us opportunities uh, for us to rest in his good sovereignty, to relish his love, and to look after each other and to love one another. COVID is a real thing, and we should respect it. But let's remember during these days that COVID is not sovereign. God is. Amen? And he is good. Another part of what's made this past year and a half uh, so unusual for us here at Cornerstone are the, the handful of people who have left our church because of good faith disagreements over how we as a church have handled this COVID crisis uh, throughout the last several months. And among those who have left were deeply uh, grateful uh, for those who are willing to sit down with us and have conversations with us before they left. I can honestly say that, that we learned something 
from every one of those conversations that have left us richer and wiser and we're forever grateful uh, for those who did have those conversations with us. Another thing that's made uh, this last year and a half so unusual for us has been the number of people that have left our church because they've moved out of state to other parts of our country uh, more than ever before. Cornerstone has become a sending church uh, in the past year and a half, uh, sending out a number of our families to be parts of other churches uh, around the country, and we're actually going to be sending out more families in, in the months to come. And these departures are, are hard, but we know that we can't be selfish with God's blessings, uh, but must be willing to share uh, our precious treasures of our people with other churches and other places. What has left us encouraged, though, uh, is that for every person who has left uh, Cornerstone, for whatever reason, God has brought in new people to this church. And many of those whom he has been bringing to our church are making their impact felt immediately and in a way that's been startling to me and unusual. Uh, one family started coming to our church uh, back at the beginning of April of this year, and on their first Sunday here, they signed up to serve on the team to help with the setup for the Easter breakfast. Um, and just began immediately pitching in and helping out the ministry here. And this husband and wife are getting baptized this afternoon at a care group meeting. And we'll be happy to show you pictures uh, next Sunday. Uh, another family showed up on May the 23rd uh, of this year. That very day, they signed up their two daughters for the youth retreat. And the father texted me that week asking if he could help with the setup for Gary Barfoot's funeral that Thursday. And he was here that Thursday morning at 8 a.m. helping get the facility ready for the funeral. Another family showed up four weeks ago and signed up to serve on the very first Sunday that they attended and spent many hours fellowshipping with some of our members well into the afternoon that uh, very day. God is bringing uh, people to Cornerstone, and some of them are all in from day one. Uh, in fact, there's not a Sunday that goes by in which I'm not meeting new people here at Cornerstone. And it's not unusual that the new people that I am meeting were invited by someone whom I just met a couple weeks prior, who are already just bringing other people to Cornerstone with them. And that's just so neat to to witness. In the last nine months, uh, we've had 37 people become members of Cornerstone, and we look forward to introducing them to you uh, next week. We're thankful for all of you who have remained with us here at Cornerstone through the last 18 months, and we're thankful for everyone that God is bringing to us, people who love God and love his word and who take the local church very seriously. Regardless, guys, of the challenges that we may be facing today, our 
purpose as a church remains the same, and that is helping people to journey from brokenness to wholeness through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ourselves here at Cornerstone are on that journey, and we want to bring as many people with us on that journey as we possibly can, a journey that entails being converted to Jesus Christ, learning to orient our lives around the gospel, experiencing meaningful community with one another, being on gospel mission, and culminating in us experiencing glory with Christ forever. All the ministries of Cornerstone are designed to move you forward in that journey and to provide opportunities for you to help other people who are on that same journey. And the stronger we are as a church, the more able we are to help people on this journey. And we need you to be involved, every one of you to be involved uh, in using your gifts if that is to happen the way God wants it to. And so with this being the launch of the ministry year, I just want to speak to you from Ephesians 4 on the subject of building up the church in challenging times. And to that end, we'll look at verses 7 through 16. There is no greater institution to be involved with than the church of Jesus Christ. And if our society ever needed vibrant and healthy churches that are staying true to Jesus Christ, it is today, right? We're going to see in our passage today that the church is the body of Christ. As Pastor Mike Berry talked about last week, the church is the bride of Christ that will be presented to him one day without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The church is the one earthly institution that will still remain after the world as we know it has passed away. The church is the apple of Jesus' eye and the place where he has chosen to make his greatest investment of resources, which is why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 refers to the church as the fullness, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So it's a blessing to be a part of the local church and to have a role to play in building up the church so that the church can be all that Christ wants it to be. And from our passage for this morning, I want us to observe five steps that I think this passage helps us to take toward each of us playing our part in building up this church body into what Christ wants it to be. And if you're worried about the fact that I'm going to give you five things to do Uh, This morning, don't worry. The first four steps are simply a call to appreciate certain truths. And then the fifth step is the only step where you will actually have to do something. Fair enough? So five steps that we can take toward building up Christ Church in these challenging times. Number one, appreciate. Appreciate the fact that Christ has given to each of us gifts of serving grace. As Christians, we should appreciate the fact that Christ has given to each one of us gifts of serving grace. 
Listen to what Paul says at the beginning of verse 7. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In verse 7, Paul tells us that grace was given to each one. In chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, Paul lays out for us the glories of the salvation that has come to us who have believed in Jesus. And in verses 4 through 6 of this very chapter, he tells us some of the wonderful things that we all have in common in Christ. Now that we are saved, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and so forth. And now he tells us something else that we have in common, and that is that to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, every single Christian, man or woman, has been given a particular grace from Christ. Even though the specifics of each person's gift may be different from person to person. The word grace that is used here includes all of the blessings of salvation that come to every person who believes in Jesus. But this word also includes particular capacities that Christ gives to each of us to enable each of us to contribute to the body life of the church and be a conduit of his grace to other people. The special capacity here is called a grace, which speaks of unmerited favor, which means you didn't earn whatever abilities Christ has given to you. The special enabling is also called a grace because it is supposed to serve as a means by which others are supposed to experience the undeserved grace of Christ through you. So whatever your gifts are, they're called graces. So you can't say, well, I, I only use my gifts on those that are deserving. If that's your philosophy, you can't call them graces. You don't deserve to re receive these gifts, and they're called graces because you minister these gifts to the undeserving as well. Paul tells us more than simply that Christ has given to each of us a particular grace. He tells us that each of us has a special grace that, look at the text, was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, your gift and my gift are all really just a part of one larger gift from Christ. Each of our gifts are simply separate items that are found inside the single care package that Christ has given to Cornerstone. Notice Paul's use of the word measure here, which is a translation of the Greek word we get our word metric from. Paul's point is that each person has only received a measured portion of the whole. Christ has taken the whole of the fullness that he wants us all to experience, and he's measured it out and divided it up. And he only gives a measured portion of that full care package to each Christian. This means that while Christ gives to each of us a measure of grace, he intentionally withholds from you the other graces that you actually need, and he gives those graces that you need to your brothers and sisters 
in Christ. Christ gives you some of what you need, but the rest of what you need, he deposits inside your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that may leave you asking, how then do I experience the fullness of Christ's provision? Christ would answer and say, if you want to experience the full package of my gracious provision, then you will need to enter into relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ and do life together with them in the church. Then and only then will you experience the full package of all the grace that you need from me. This is the ingenious strategy of Christ to bring us into community with one another. By yourself, you have only some of what you need from Christ. In community with others in the local church, you have the full package of all that you need in Christ. Now, knowing and appreciating what Paul says here in verse 7 helps me to make the most out of whatever gifting Christ has given to me. It also helps me to make sure that I am bringing my gifts to the table for everyone else's benefit. And it also helps me to make sure that I'm living my life in community with others so that I'm receiving the benefit of the graces that Christ has deposited inside of them. Knowing this also keeps me from trying to be the be-all and the end-all in other people's lives. They need far more than my own little contribution. They need to benefit from the gifting of other brothers and sisters to be complete. And knowing this reminds me that it is only in the local church that we experience the full package of all that Christ wants us to experience. So if you want to play a part in building up this local church during these challenging times and the weeks and months to come, step one is to appreciate the fact that Christ has given to you. He's given to each of us a gift of serving grace, a special capacity to bring the grace of Christ to others. But there's a second step that we should take, which is this. Number two, appreciate the fact that Christ went to great lengths to give us these gifts. Appreciate the fact that Christ went to great lengths to give us these gifts. Listen to how Paul communicates this beginning in verse 8. He says, Therefore it says, When he, Christ, ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. There's a lot that we don't have time to look at in these verses, but do you, do you feel Paul's burden here? In verse 8, Paul depicts Christ in his ascended state giving out gifts to other people Paul wants us to know that the spiritual gifts that you and I possess, that we've received those gifts as tokens 
of Christ's victory over the evil one, the victory that he accomplished in his resurrection and ascension. But look again at the text. Paul doesn't just want you to connect your spiritual gifts to Christ's ascension. He also wants you to think about Christ's descent, which preceded his ascension. He wants us to know that these gifts come to us from someone who descended into the lower parts of the earth before he ascended to the highest heaven to give us these gifts. The expression lower parts of the earth could be paraphrased as in this way, the lower parts of existence, which is the earth. But it means even more than this. Paul wants us to know that Christ did not just descend from heaven to earth, but he also wants us to know that once Christ came to earth, he descended even lower, descending to the lowest parts of earthly experience, suffering shame and scorn all the way to death on the cross and burial in the ground in order that he might be the savior of those who believe in him, in order that he might be able to give us who believe in him the grace of salvation and to give us particular serving graces that we can now bless other people with. When I appreciate this truth, I realize that I dare not look lightly upon any brother or sister's spiritual gift because I know that gift that they have was purchased by blood. Christ died to give them whatever gifts they have. He descended to the lowest point of humiliation on a cross so that my brothers and sisters could be saved and then gifted by him to minister his grace to me. This truth also means that we dare not look down on our own gifts that Christ has given to us. Perhaps you're discontent with your spiritual gift or your level of gifting, and maybe you wish that you have the spiritual gifts that you see that other people have. I would suggest that you look again at your spiritual gifts and realize that Jesus suffered the agony of the cross in order to give you those gifts. And I suspect that if you embrace the gifting that he has given to you, you might soon learn that there's more good inside that gift than you realize right now, if you would just embrace it. The truth that we're looking at here also reminds us how important our ministry to others is. Your ministry to others is so important that Christ died to endow you with the spiritual gifts that you need to engage in that ministry to others, no matter how small or insignificant that service might seem. When you bring a meal to someone who's just had a baby, realize that Christ died so that you could bring that meal to them and speak encouraging words to them. When you take a discouraged brother for a walk and speak truth into his life, realize that Christ died to bring about that ministry of yours to that brother. When you teach a Sunday school class, or you listen to a child quoting a Bible verse in Awana, 
realize that Christ died in order for you to be able to bring that ministry to that person. The list is endless. Every ministry that you engage in has the same price tag on it, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, who descended to the ultimate depths of suffering and then was resurrected and ascended in order to be able to save you and give you the resources that you need to engage in ministry. And by the way, speaking about spiritual gifts, if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, let me tell you how to discover them. Go ahead and get your pen and paper out. Here's how you do it. Just start loving people and serving people in whatever ways that you see are needful. Seek to be a blessing and a help to others as often as you can. And over time, you're going to discover what you are good at. And you'll discover what others begin to observe that you are good at. And you'll observe over time where your burdens and your passions seem to lie and where your sweet spot of service is. Please don't sit around waiting to find out what your spiritual gifts are before you start loving and serving other people. Start serving now and you will learn in the course of loving people what your gifts are. Does that make sense? Take a lesson from Roger Bannister, the man who was the first runner to break the four-minute mile barrier back in 1954. During the, the 2012 Summer Olympics, uh, Bob Costas had an amazing interview with Roger Bannister. And during that interview, Bob Costas asked Roger Bannister this question. He said, when did you discover that you had a gift for running? You ready for Roger Bannister's answer? Again, get your pens out. Be ready to write this down. Roger Bannister told Bob Costas that it was while he was running that he discovered that he had a gift for running. Imagine that. He said he would be running along the beach and when he hit full stride, he felt a soaring pleasure and freedom, and thus began to think that he might have a gift for running. And the same is true with your spiritual gifting. If you want to know what your gifts are, just start running. Start serving. Start being a blessing to others, and you will discover your gifts soon enough. There's something else we need to do if we want to play a part in building up this church during these days in which we live. And this brings us to our third step. Yes, Christ has given us special abilities to help us serve others. And yes, Christ has gone to great lengths to give us those internal gifts, but he's also given us external gifts in the form of people who equip us to play our part in building up Christ's church. Number three, step number three, appreciate the people Christ has given to equip us for ministry. We should appreciate the people Christ has given to equip us for ministry. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. And he, speaking about Christ, gave some 
as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. The Greek word that is translated equipping here in verse 11 comes loaded with meaning. It's the very Greek word that is used in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21 to speak of the disciples mending their fishing nets that were torn. And it's translated mending in that passage, indicating that this word means to take something that is broken and make it whole. It means to take something that is not operational and make it functional. This word is used in Galatians 6.1 to speak of restoring a sinning brother who is caught in a trespass. And this word is also used in the New Testament with a clear sense of resourcing or equipping someone and training them for a particular task. So this is a big word here. And putting all the pieces together, Paul's use of this word indicates that Christ has given to you particular external gifts in order to mend you and to make you whole, in order to make you more fully functional and sufficiently resourced in the giving and receiving of ministry in Christ's body, the church. What are these gifts that are external to you that are designed to help equip you in the sense that we've just seen? Well, Paul identifies four of these gifts. Let's look at each one of these quickly. First, Christ has given us apostles. These are the men who were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord, called by him to be apostles and whose ministry is now enshrined in our New Testaments. If you want to benefit from the ministry of the apostles of Jesus Christ who lived during the first century, you will find their ministry crystallized in written form in your New Testament. Secondly, Paul says that Christ has given us prophets. Prophets are those people who functioned as God's mouthpiece speaking forth divinely inspired revelation directly from God in the first century of the church and in the centuries prior. And while there may not be prophets today who are speaking forth freshly given inspired prophecies like the biblical prophets did, the ministry of the biblical prophets of God is now enshrined in our New Testament and Old Testaments. And we benefit hugely today from the ministry of the apostles and from the prophets. Every time we read God's written word or every time we hear it taught or preached. This is why we preach and teach the Bible here at Cornerstone and make it the centerpiece of all we do because the apostolic and prophetic revelation contained in the Bible is Christ's gift to us, given to us to mend us and resource us for the ministry that Christ has saved us to do. Thirdly, Paul tells us that Christ has given us evangelists or gospelizers 
At the center of our faith as Christians, guys, is not a to-do list of things that we must do. At the center of our faith is a he did list. At the center of our faith is an announcement of the good news of what Jesus has done. And we call this good news the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel means good news. It's the message that Jesus Christ came into the world during the fullness of time and fulfilled all righteousness through his absolutely perfect life. Then he died for our sins and was buried and was raised on the third day and then ascended to the Father where he now reigns from on high, giving out the forgiveness of sins and salvation to all who believe in him and call upon his name. And one day he will come again and set up his righteous kingdom on the earth. And evangelists or gospelizers are those who declare the details of this good news of salvation through Jesus along with all the blessings that come to those who believe in Jesus. And they show you how to respond to this good news and apply it to all of life and experience the power of it in your life and also how to share it with others. My favorite evangelist is the Apostle Paul. Uh, You read his letters and you realize that Paul evangelized people until they got converted. And then once they got converted, he kept on evangelizing them and helping them to understand the fullness and all the wonderful details embodied in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's ministry to the lost and to the saved was a ministry of constant and ongoing evangelizing. He's even evangelizing us here in Ephesians 4 by telling us something we would not have known otherwise, and that is that Christ has given to us these blessings, spiritual gifts that are inside of us, and also these blessings that he's enumerating here in verse 11, including giving us the gift of evangelizers who minister the gospel to us the same way Paul did to people in his day. Next, Paul tells us that Christ gives to us pastors, pastors and teachers, or we could translate this pastor teachers. The word pastors is the Greek word for shepherds. And a teacher is someone who instructs others in doctrine and in practice, drawing the content of their teaching from the apostolic and prophetic and evangelistic body of truth that is found in the Bible. Paul's language here in Ephesians 4 makes it clear that a pastor is a teacher who teaches God's truth to people and shepherds them into a lifestyle that is consistent with that truth. So you look at this verse and you realize that Christ has given us the gifts of apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers. These are gifts that Christ died to be able to give to you and to me, which probably indicates that they're pretty essential, right? Would Christ go to the depths 
of suffering and death in order to give you gifts that you did not need? I don't think so. So if you want to reach your full potential as an active servant of Christ, you will want to maximize the use of these gifts that Paul has just identified here in verse 11. You'll want to be a student of the Bible. You'll want to be a part of a gospel-centered church where you are always being evangelized and under the care and teaching of pastors in your life because all these things are God's ordained means by which you can experience the mending and equipping that you need to do the work of ministry. This leads us to the fourth step that you will want to take if you want to play a meaningful part in building up this church body during these challenging times. Number four, appreciate the fact that Christ wants us involved in the work of ministry. Appreciate the fact that Christ wants us, each of us, to be involved in ministry. Look at what the text says. Paul tells us that Christ has given us the gifts of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for what? For the work of service, for the work of ministry. You see, Christ did not just give you these gifts and resources so that you could become a couch potato and sit around and do nothing and just have things done for you and to you. He gifted you with these blessings so that you would do what this text describes as the work of service or ministry. You were not saved by works, by your own works, but you are saved for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that you would now walk in them as a believer. No matter how broken you are or how much you think that you fall short, Christ has a plan to use you even today to be a blessing to others if you belong to him. The word work here is the word that we get our English word energy from. This word speaks of anything you do that requires an expenditure of energy on your part. And the word translated service is the word we get our word deacon from. This word speaks of any ministry we engage in wherein we address needs, physical, spiritual needs that arise in the life of the church that arise in the lives of our brothers and sisters in the Lord, that arise in the lives of the lost, whom you can serve in Jesus' name. And putting these pieces together, we see that Christ has given to each of us some enabling graces. He's also given to us his written word. He's given to us people who can gospelize us. He's given to us pastors and teachers so that he can, through these means, equip us each to do the work of ministry that he has called us to. So think about it this way. If, if for example, your marriage is broken and you need pastoral counseling, you're not being provided counseling by a pastor or a brother and sister in the Lord merely so that you can have a happy marriage though that is good. You're being given counseling so that from the overflow of an improved marriage, 
you can now more effectively engage in the work of ministry in serving others. Does that make sense? According to this passage, here's one thing you can know for sure. If you are a saint, and by the way, you are a saint if you have been saved by Jesus Christ, you have been called to engage in the work of service, the work of ministry to others. Christ has a meaningful role for you to play in his church. And please, I plead with you, don't underestimate the blessing that you are and that you can be to others and the difference that you can make. This leads us to the final step that you'll want to take if you want to play a meaningful part in building up this local church during these challenging times. Number five, give and receive ministry for the purpose of building up Christ church. Give and receive ministry for the purpose of building up Christ church. Listen to what Paul says beginning in verse 12, and I'm just going to read verses 12 through 16 to you. Christ has given us all these gifts, Paul says, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to what end? To the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In verses 12 through 13, Paul gives us the fivefold goal of us giving and receiving ministry to one another. That is that the body of Christ would be built up that the church as a community would grow in its unity of the faith, that the church would grow in its knowledge of the Son of God, that the church would grow in communal maturity as a single entity, and that the church would grow in the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. This is something we achieve in the power of Christ together in community with one another. And it's when everyone is serving in this way that the church is able to achieve these goals. As Paul states in verse 14, this is why we can't be careless. This is why we cannot just let ourselves be tossed about by every wind of doctrine that is blowing through our world today. This is why we must be grounded in God's word. This is why we need to be speaking God's truth in love to one another, with the goal being that we would all grow up into Christ, who is our head. It is from Christ that we draw as we minister our gifts to one another and cause the body in Christ to grow in the process. In fact, look at this. What causes the growth of the body? Well, ultimately, we know it's Jesus, right? 
who is the head, but through what means does Christ accomplish this growth? Listen to what Paul says in verse 16. From whom, in other words, from Christ, the whole body, and I would encourage you to underline those words, the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's a very long sentence, but the grammatical core of this long sentence is this. The whole body causes the growth of the body. The whole body causes the growth of the body. In other words, as each individual member does his or her part, the body causes the growth of the body as it builds itself up in love. This is why it's so important that everyone do their part. This is why Paul tells us that this growth of the body happens according to the proper working of each individual part. And that includes you and it includes me. And notice in verse 15 that a central part of our ministry entails speaking the truth in love. This tells us that for us to be effective ministers for Christ, we must know the truth. We must be speakers of the truth. And we must speak the truth to one another in love. And guys, speaking the truth in love means more than simply speaking the truth in a nice way or in a loving way. It means speaking God's truth to one another in the context of sacrificially loving relationships with one another. Relationships are vital in the equation of ministry, which is why in verse 16, Paul envisions the members of the body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. We don't want to be a church where everyone is walking around speaking the truth, but no one has a relationship with each other. It is truth spoken in the context of committed covenantal relationships that is most powerful. It is this kind of ministry that Christ has saved us for, and it is this kind of ministry that causes the growth of the body in love. This is the kind of ministry that Christ died for. For much of the year here at Cornerstone, the, the weekly life of Cornerstone is organized, I think we can say, in the form of four categories of touches that provide ample opportunities for you to be fitted and joined together with others in the context of loving relationships and to give and receive ministry. The first touch is our Sunday morning worship service where we come together, we join our hearts together in worship and prayer and hearing the preached word. The second category of touches is our care group ministry where we worship and pray and fellowship in a smaller group and process together the preached word from the Sunday service. If you're not a part of a care group, we encourage you to visit table number six today. And someone will be there who can 
talk with you about that and help you to become a part of one. In fact, if you have time here at Cornerstone to do only two things, we would encourage you to make those two things attending our Sunday morning worship service and also being a vital part of a care group. And then once you are a part of a care group, take advantage of the opportunities for mutual ministry in the context of the relationships that are there. The third category of touches is our weekly enrichment ministries, which include things like equipping school, man forum, men's Bible study, women's Bible study, and discipleship, youth ministry, Awana ministry, and college and career ministry. We encourage you to just pick one of these ministries to be involved in as a part of your weekly routine. You can definitely do more if you like, but at least one. And the fourth touch is outreach, where you endeavor to carry Christ with you wherever you go throughout the week in the hopes of calling others to the saving grace of Christ. Today marks the launch of our ministry year, and surrounding us in this room are, I think, 29 ministries um, that our church is uh, either engaging in or connected to in some way. These ministries either represent opportunities for you to be ministered to, or they represent opportunities for you to minister to others, or a combination of both of those. Some of these ministries represent opportunities for you to be equipped and resourced and even mended. All of them represent opportunities for you to do your part in helping to build up this church during these challenging times in which we live and for you yourself to be built up in Christ. If you consider Cornerstone to be your home church, uh, we encourage you to stick around after the service and learn about these ministries uh, and uh, explore how God might want you to get involved in serving here. We would relish the opportunity to journey together with you, uh, to serve you with the graces that Christ has given to us, and we would look forward to experiencing the grace of Christ through you as you minister to us and bless us in ministry together. I'm going to pray here in just a a moment and ask God to help us to to do this uh, but I'd like to uh, recognize our new slate of church officers before I do to where I can include them in my prayer not all of them are here this morning and those that are here some of them are in other rooms serving but I'd love for those who are here to stand um, just wherever they're seated to stand um, these are all individuals who have agreed to serve for this ministry year as elder, deacon, or deaconess, and they were all overwhelmingly affirmed by you in our election meeting uh, back in August. And so let me just read these off for you, and then uh, you can stand um, as I call your name and then remain standing um, as I pray. Uh, Alvin Davis, uh, as elder, he is not here this morning. Uh, as for deacons, we have Mike Aquino, Daniel Ben Shadler, Sean Feely, and Brad Peters serving on our Agape team. 
We have Seaburn Boone, who leads the Awana ministry together with his wife, Cindy. On our church office team, uh, we have Eric Cooper as our church administrator, Jonathan DeMille as our communications director, Gina Gall as our church bookkeeper, and Kelly Lamone as our church secretary. Our care group leader deacons are Daniel Ben Shadler. And Daniel, you can stand twice because I've already, already had you stand. Uh, together with his wife, Cindy. Rayshon Bobo, together with his wife, Michelle. Scott Cantino, together with his wife, Carol. Brian Kearns, together with his wife, Chris. Chris Kidder, together with his wife, Kara. Dave Schilling, together with his wife, Mary. And Moses Tay, together with his wife, Kathy. All of our other elders are care group leaders, so if you're an elder, I would like to have you stand. Uh, we have Chris Kidder once again as the children's church ministry leader. Our college and career ministry leader is Justin Chow, who capably serves this ministry together with his wife, Amanda. Our men's ministry leadership team deacons are Scott Cantino and Bob Gall. And our women's ministry leadership team deaconesses are Kim Davis, Melissa Kaufman, Ruby Kimball, Lynette Kumamoto, and Donna Vincent. So we're grateful uh, for these individuals. and their willingness to serve our church body in these roles for this ministry year. And we're just so thankful for the overwhelming affirmation uh, that we receive from the congregation for these individuals to serve in, uh, in these roles. I'd like to pray for them and pray for all of us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for um, our church officers, um, Alvin's willingness to serve another three-year term and all of our elders that serve so faithfully along with all of our deacons and deaconesses. Thank you for the participation that this church body has played in the selection of these individuals and the affirmation of these individuals. We know you are pleased with how these decisions have been made in community with one another and not just by one or two persons. We pray for your blessing upon them, our elders, deacons, and deaconesses as they serve and lead their ministries in the coming months. I am sure that given the challenges that we're confronted with, Lord, it will require just as last ministry year uh, moments where uh, uh, of great wisdom um, where we have to sort through uh, tough decisions to make, um, and I thank you for how so many of our ministry leaders did this in the past year, and we're just asking for grace and for wisdom to lead well and to serve well for all of our church officers, Lord. And I, I don't just pray for these who are church officers, um, but for every member of Cornerstone, everyone who considers Cornerstone their church home. All of them, in one sense, are on our church staff. We need everyone to be engaging in the work of service so that with the proper working of each individual part that we as a church can grow and flourish during a time like this 
rather than be beaten down and divided. May we work hard for unity with one another, that we might be knitted together in love through your amazing grace. May the gospel be what is primary in our thoughts. And though we may differ in our opinions or our choices regarding other matters, may all of those things, Lord, as important as some of them may be, may they all pale in comparison to the gravitas and the greatness of Jesus Christ who descended to the depths of suffering and ascended to the highest heaven that we might be saved and now gifted to serve one another as we now have opportunity to do. And I pray this not just for Cornerstone. I pray this for other churches in the city of Riverside and throughout this state and throughout our nation and throughout the world, some churches of which, Lord, are in very different circumstances than the ones we find ourselves in here. We, we think of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and what their experience must be like in assembling together on the Lord's Day and singing and hearing your word and uh, doing so in very uncertain circumstances with the threat of danger all about them, Lord. Give them boldness and give them courage and give the same to us that we might grow in wisdom and stature as a congregation, that the reach of our ministry would only expand, that our height in Jesus would only grow taller and that the length of our stride would only grow longer. And that a light would issue forth from this church, Lord, that would not only provide light, the light of truth to show the lost, the way of salvation, but that that light would also issue a warmth to others in this cold, cruel, darkened world who need to see the light of Jesus and experience the warmth of his saving and healing grace and use us lord use us as a congregation to accomplish these things in the power you provide and to the degree that you do lord we will give you all the praise and all the glory and we say these things to you in the name of jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated.